Hi everybody, welcome back to the Babbling Bearded Biker podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, and here comes this episode. Hi everybody, welcome back as always. So I'm going to do something a bit different in in this episode. Um, I'm going to talk about current affairs and what's happening in the country and in the further world as well. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about, um, it's been in news quite a lot, is the fuel protests and should say shortages, um, whether there is a shortage, I don't know, but we'll come into that later. Um, what the protesters actually want, what their demands are, because as far as I can see, nobody knows who they actually are, trawling through the old Facebook groups and, you know, watching what people are saying and talking to people. Nobody actually knows who these people are. They wrongly assume they're Extinction Rebellion which as far as I'm aware, they're not. They are a completely different group called Just Stop Oil. Um, So for those who don't know, I don't know if people have been living under a rock or something, um, but they've protested outside three uh, oil uh, distribution centres in the country, and that has seemingly brought the country to a complete halt. Now, we all rely on petrol, diesel, fuel of some description, um, the microphone I'm using, the laptop I'm using it on, is made from um, made from plastic. So we all use oil or petroleum derivative, if that's even a word, um, in our daily lives. But these guys are protesting against climate change. Now, I'm in two minds about this. I mean, they've been protesting and blockaded for 14 days now. Um, I remember the uh, where they blocked the fuel tankers back in early 2000s about the price of fuel going up over a pound. I mean, those were the days, weren't they? Um, but, I mean, their demands are to end UK government projects in new oil and gas. Now, I mean, like I said, I'm in two minds about this because ultimately the way they're doing it, they're stopping people from getting to from A to B because they are causing a shortage um, they're stopping ambulance. Well, I don't know if they will be stopping ambulances, but I would imagine they would be. Or they're making it harder for emergency vehicles to get the get the fuel that they need to go to emergencies. And that's not just ambulances. Um, police cars have to go to normal petrol stations. I don't think fire engines do, but that's by the by. Um, they're they're stopping stopping that from happening. Um, I mean, it. It's a bit of a hard one because they have a right to protest. They they do. It, it's law so far that they have a right to protest. But in doing so, they're alienating the whole of the country because you're not affecting, with these blockages, you're not affecting the higher-ups in the country. You're, you're affecting the normal people who are just trying to get to work or see their families or even hospital appointments. There's one lady I read on Facebook um, who couldn't get her husband to an Adam Brooks appointment for a brain tumour. And that's who they're affecting. But on the flip side, it's their right to do that. It's their right to protest, same as it's anybody's right to protest. But with that right to protest, they are disrupting people's lives. Um, unfortunately, I can't think of any other way that they could do it to get noticed and to get their voices heard. Um because it's not, I mean, the government could quite easily not so much bow down to their demand, but negotiate with them and say, right, okay, we'll do this, this, this. I mean, they're trying to stop climate change. I mean, in 20, 30 years, 
this this world may not even be livable anymore because of the rise in sea level and the rise in temperatures because of obviously global warming on our reliance on fossil fuels. Now, the thing is, there is loads of renewable energy out there. You've got wind, you've got solar, you've got nuclear. But for some reason, we are, as as a species almost, we are dependent on fossil fuels. But fossil fuels ain't going to last much longer. Um, but by blocking blocking normal people getting to their day-to-day lives, they're, they're just shooting themselves in the foot, really. But saying that, they do need to be heard because even the head of the United Nations um, a few days ago said it's moral and economic madness to fund new fossil fuel projects, which is exactly what the government's doing. They're drilling in the North Sea for more fossil fuels, which may or may not be there, where really they should be putting more more effort into looking for renewable things, which we can use time and time again, like the sun, like solar power, like wind power, nuclear power. I mean, if you can run a generator and a couple of hours of sunlight that would power a home, what? why aren't we looking into this? Why are we focusing on using fossil fuels to actually do that? And uh, quite a few years ago, I remember back in my science class at school, there was a, a car that ran solely on water. It was hydrogen. And it, it just spewed out um, oxygen out the back. Um, no, sorry. They just spewed out water out the back and it used the hydrogen. And, I mean, why didn't... What, why are we still so obsessed with fossil fuels? I mean, because those fossil fuels are going to run out and are going to run out very soon. And then, if that's what it takes, three refinery um, distribution areas to be blockaded for it to cause the world seemingly to grind, grind to a halt, sorry, not the world, the country, to grind to a halt, then that, that's scary. That's really scary. We're so focused on fossil fuels that everything runs on it. Then when things don't run on it, we're absolutely bollocked. We really are. And that's, that's worrying. That all it takes is just blocking them. That's it. We're done. Nobody gets to school, nobody gets to work, and we all just stop. And it seems a bit odd to me. I don't know if this is going a bit full-on tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist person, but the fuel price went up to 1.65 a litre. I think it's probably going up more now. But, um, yeah, that's gone up quite substantially in the past couple of weeks, uh, past past month or so. I mean, I, I ride a motorbike. My tank is 14 litres. Last year, I could have filled my bike up for 15 quid. I put a tenner in the other day, got me six litres. Now, I'm not really sure how it's jumped that much. But, I mean, again, you've got you've got every, everybody, all the media shouting that there's a fuel crisis, there's a fuel shortage. There's no shortage of fuel. There really isn't. But all I've seen from petrol forecourt, petrol station forecourts over the past couple of weeks has been queues, queues, queues. I've read of um, stuff being abused. Um, I mean, this happened a couple of months ago. I mean, but it was diesel that was the issue, not petrol, diesel. But there was people filling up cars, and I, I pulled up to a petrol pump and I filled my bike up the other day. And someone had put three pounds in their tank, three pounds in a, a car tank. 
why, why do you need three pounds just to top it off? I mean, I put tenner in and it still didn't fill my bloody tank. I'm still, still only got about half a tank out of it. But this, again, we're going back to the problem that we had with the first wave of COVID. People are panic buying and are making the issue 10 times worse. I mean, if people had just treated it normally, filled up when they needed to, then, you know, they'd probably be absolutely fine. It also reminds me of a, of a story I read uh, during the fuel crisis a few months ago where a lorry driver who had a tanker on the back was followed by about 20 cars. And the route he went was not a route that people would normally go, and they were following him very closely. And he pulled into a construction site, and the blokes, the people in the cars, got said, well, where are you going? Why aren't you filling up? And he went, I don't have any fuel. What do you mean? You've got a tanker. Yeah, it's a bloody concrete tanker. And these guys had followed him for about 20 miles because they thought he was a fuel tanker. And he had concrete in there. And it just shows that people will just do absolutely silly things. I mean, I'm, you've got two scores of people. Either fill up at half full or they fill up just just while you're in the red. I'm unfortunately part of the latter. So I fill up last minute. But during the last fuel crisis, and I know a few of my colleagues have probably had to do this as well, um, I had to leave an hour early to be able to get fuel. I literally pushed my bike into the petrol station. Luckily, they had fuel. But that just shows the amount of panic that can be caused by a couple of media stories. I'm not saying there isn't a shortage, but if people actually cared less about themselves and cared more about other people, we wouldn't be having this issue. Again, going back to the toilet roll and um, the toilet roll and pasta from the first lockdown. I mean, during the first lockdown, my youngest and eldest daughter got it, and we couldn't get any Calpol. I went to went to Tesco's and they had no Calpol. I went to four shops, and I could not find a single one that had Calpol, and I I, I couldn't help my kids because people had panic bought and thought, oh my God, we've got to buy everything. And I know you can only buy two uh, two paracetamol containing products at a time. So these people getting two bottles of Calpol at a time. And it was just crazy. And again, people were panicking, people were panic buying, stocking up. It's only a stock up on fuel. I mean, it's not going anywhere in the imminent future. So it could have been solved by people just acting respectfully. But yet again, mob mentality. Everybody rushes there. I've seen stories of people having fist fights. I've stories of widespread abuse. And it's just crazy. And unfortunately, nothing's going to change anytime soon. I mean, obviously, the media doesn't help. Um, but that's always been, a, always been a thing. The media's always been good at getting people riled up, no matter what story it is. So the way I see it is these people have a right to protest, but they're kind of alienating themselves here, and they're alienating the the, the wrong people um, by supergluing themselves to the refined distribution hubs and stopping fuel from getting out. So that's my take on that one. So the next big story is Ukraine, well... Ukraine. Let's talk a bit about Ukraine. So this, these issues have been going on since 2014, um, when Russia first annexed 
uh, Ukraine, sorry, not annexed, um, first invaded Ukraine in 2014. Um, and they only really fully invaded the past couple of months. But the way it's a bit weird because the United States in 2018 um, sold anti tank missiles to Ukraine um, and allowed various other parts of anti tank weaponry to the Ukrainians, um, obviously to fight Russians. I mean, y- Ukraine is trying to be a NATO member um, and we've already sold them weapons. And in the the 26th of Feb this year, a couple of weeks ago, um, a couple of months ago, sorry, the United States sent over $350 million worth of weapons, lethal weapons, to Ukraine to fight off the Russians. The European Union sent 450 million euros in weapons. And NATO states, even though... NATO has said they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want a full all-out war. They still fund the weapons. They sent 17,000 anti-tank weapons to Ukraine. And it just seems uh, the Western powers... It's the East versus the West again. It's kind of Cold War Part Two, um, with Putin one side and NATO and the Western forces... Uh, Eastern forces on the other end. And it's going to end one or two ways. Either, Pu- either Putin's going to press a press big red button and start flying nukes around, at which point it's goodbye world, because he'll fire one, NATO will fire two, he'll fire four, yada, yada, yada. It's mutually assured destruction. That's why we didn't, the nukes didn't fly in the Cold War because they know that they fire, we fire, they fire, we fire, we just end humanity. Um, So on the 6th of March, as the um, Prime Minister of Ukraine called for foreign nationals to fight against Russia. Now, so far, there's been 20,000 foreign nationals have gone over to Ukraine to fight against the Russians. Now, I'm not too sure about this because I've got a a friend of mine um, who a few years ago went to Kurdistan, uh, northern Iraq, to fight against ISIS, to fight against Daesh. When he came home, he was investigated by Special Branch. He was put on a terrorism watch list. He was followed, and there has been times where people have gone to prison for fighting for a foreign power, even though it was against a terror organisation, which was a prescribed terror organisation like ISIS. And even though all of that, he was still, even though he was quite well documented as fighting against Daesh, as soon as he came back, that was it. He was investigated and everything. And, but when people go to Ukraine, they're not. They're, they can come back with absolutely no ramifications. So you can essentially go fight against a foreign power on behalf of a foreign power and have absolutely no ramifications. That that just doesn't sit right, right for me. There's no consequences. 
But on the flip side, when they went against ISIS on behalf, behalf of the YPG and the YPJ, they were they were called terrorists themselves, even though they went to fight against a well-known terror organisation. So I'd like to think that the British government will will keep keep their promise that there will be no ramifications, but I'm not holding my breath. I've no trust in this government, and you'll see why in a second. But on the flip side, with, with the Russians, they've got 16,000 volunteers from the Middle East on their side fighting for Russia against Ukraine and their foreign uh, their foreign soldiers. Um, so essentially you have got two major powers fighting against each other with loads of, loads of soldiers from all over the world in between the two. And it is just literally the way I see it, Cold War Part 2. I'm not saying that they shouldn't go over. I'm just saying myself, um, that there shouldn't be any consequence because they're going over and something which has been encouraged by the UK government that they'd be happy for people to go over, but you can't expect people to go over and then come back and then have you know, be approached by special branch and all our anti-terrorism teams and all of that, especially when the government says it's okay. So how it's going to go remains to be seen and you know, I mean, hopefully they'll come back and, you know, they won't have the, um, have all the problems that my friend had and what I've read of some more people um, who've had issues with this. So let's move on to something which I've kept to last, but it's the one that's essentially pissed me off the most, is COVID parties. So... Our Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, Rishi Sunak, and Boris Johnson's wife Carrie Johnson have been fined for having meetings and gatherings during COVID regulations over for, over the past couple of years. Now, there's been 50 MPs fined altogether, and... Just looking at these dates in front of me, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I mean, I I couldn't see who I wanted to see during lockdown because I stayed at home. I didn't go out of parties. I was doing my self-defence training on Zoom. We were doing all our work training on Zoom. Um, I had to cancel uh, meetings with my parents who live up in Middlesbrough and... You know, we had to cancel a few other things, meetings, and, not meetings, but um, parties and such. Um, my, my dad's birthday, I think we cancelled. And I had to cancel um, a couple of motorbike, charity motorbike rides, which I'd organised. Um, you know, and people were doing it by the book, doing it as we should, because we knew that COVID was serious. Whereas these people who obviously think they're a lot better than everybody. So you've got Boris Johnson, who's the Prime Minister. You've got Rishi Sunak, who is, who is the uh, Chancellor of the Executor. And Carrie Johnson, who is obviously Prime Minister's wife. But, I mean, 50 people altogether have been fined for this. Now, the fines are like 50 to £100. I mean, to these people, 100000 a year. doesn't. That's what they've declared anyway, um, without all backhanders. 
Um, that's pennies, absolutely pennies. And, and look, like I said, looking at some of these dates, 19th of June, 2020, 20th of May, 2020, 13th of November, 2020, 16th of April, 21, 14th of January, 21, 15th of December, 21, 18th of June, 2020. It's obvious that they do not give a shit about it. I mean, most of those dates I was working in A&E, wearing full PPE, and no doubt some of those days I'll, I watched people die and I saw people in the, you know, the last moments of their life, not allowed to have relatives, not allowed to see their loved ones in their last moments. I had to watch my Nana's funeral over Zoom in my bedroom at home because of COVID regulations. The Queen had to bury her husband on her own. Now, I'm not a royalist in the slightest, but what I saw was an old woman, well into her 90s, burying her lifetime partner. She couldn't have any family with her. And, I mean, like I said, I'm not a royalist. But seeing the Queen sat on that bench in black, watching her husband's funeral with, you know, nobody there to support, it just broke my heart. I mean, I know, I know she's a Queen, yada, yada, but... She's still an old woman who was burying her her, her husband, who had been her husband for a, a good number of years. I think they were married about eight, about seventy odd years. Now, when my nana died, I couldn't go to the funeral, I, and that just broke my heart. And my granddad had died the year before. Uh, my nana had a long battle with Alzheimer's. Um. And seeing my mum, my dad, my sister, my numerous aunties and uncles, and they had a restriction on the amount of people who could go. And because they live up in Middlesbrough and I have to get the train up there, I wasn't able to do it with the current regulations. So it pains me to think that potentially I could have been sitting there in my bedroom watching my nana's funeral on a laptop while these bastards were having fun, partying, frolicking, having a good laugh, you know, and they can't deny it. The picture evidence is there. I'm in a garden party in 20th of May 2020. I know exactly where I was working that day. I was working in, I was working in A&E. I was working in my normal place. And like I said, potentially, more than likely, I'd probably watched people die or watched people in the last moments either on their own or with a complete stranger, i.e. someone like me, holding their hand while they died. And it, it just shocks me. And there is people, fortunately I wasn't one of them, because I think that probably would have broke me, who watched their family members' last moments over video call. I mean, that absolutely disgusting. Not that it happened, but the fact that while that was happening, these people in power were sitting there just having a jolly, having a good old laugh. And that's something that can never, ever be forgotten. Um, I mean, quite a few MPs have defended it. I said, oh, it's only a glass of wine after work. You know, so there's a certain MP, Michael Fabricant, 
but to make sure I said that right. Um, who I must ad- I must admit I thought was a parody. I did think it was a comedian pretending to be an MP until I actually Googled it. I mean, the hair, the name. I mean, if you take away in his surname, Fabricant, take away the A out of U, I mean, you've got a pretty good thing. Um, I actually thought he was a parody. I, 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 but it actually seems that he's just not a very nice person. So what I read, what he actually said, I think it's today or yesterday, was, um, I mean, the full quote is pretty damning, to be honest. He told Sky News, I know of some nurses, quite understandably, and I'm not condemning them, who, after a long day in the wards, absolutely exhausted, this is pre-vaccination being available, pre-the antiviral drugs being available, then going back to the staff room and having a quiet drink before they went home. Now, I can categorically say I have never drunk alcohol at work, and I can categorically say all of my all my colleagues have never drank alcohol at work. That's just absolutely mind-blowing. It's been ripped to shreds by the World College of Nursing, by Unison, by the Nursing and Midwifery Council, I don't know about the NMC, but by various staff-side unions and staff and NHS charities saying you are being ridiculous and I know during the worst days of COVID not one of us spent any longer than we had to in at work as soon as our shift was finished as soon as we'd finished what we were doing we'd handed over the patients handed everything over we got in a shower changed our uniforms or changed into our normal clothes got out of there, got home. And, yeah, some of us got home and had a drink. I'm not going to lie, I was one of them. Because what we'd seen was absolutely harrowing, which I think in the next couple of years is going to be a lot of PTSD and a lot of trauma, mental trauma, for the staff who've been through this. But to have a member of the UK Parliament, a representative of the government, saying that he knows some nurses who got pissed in the staff room after work. It's absolutely bloody ridiculous. I mean, even now, after COVID, well, I say after COVID, it's still around, but now the levels are a bit better with the vaccination and the treatments and such. Nobody wants to spend any longer there than they have to. You know, we do our job and we do a damn good job. Then we get out of there. We sort our own ablutions out have a wash, have a shower, change it into our day clothes, and we go home, and we see our own families. And I can't understand where this mentality has come from. I mean, what sort of world do these people live in where they think that people have just been through some of the worst times in their lives think, oh yeah, I'm just going to hang around work for an extra half hour and get boozed up in the staff room. Because we all drive. So, is he accusing us all of drink driving? I mean, I don't drink and drive. That's my rule. I never have done. And it's just absolutely mind-boggling to think that somebody, anybody, would make that claim. And especially and some, an MP... He represents his consist- constituents. He represents them 
that do they want to be represented by this? And unfortunately, that is a mentality. And that is why NHS staff are leaving in droves. But I think that's going to be for a further podcast. So I invite any MP to come and work with us. Honestly, I know I probably won't be able to sort out logistically, but they do not have a clue. I mean, a single MP thinks that we go and get pissed off after shift in the staff room while still at work. He's absolutely delusional, I swear. I really do. And I just can't understand the mentality of this and how how you can even think this is normal behaviour for someone to come out with such an outlandish comment like that and expect it to be true. I mean, I, I, I can't get it. After shift, we just want to go home. We're knackered. We've done 12 hours on our feet, easily doing 10, 15 miles walking, most of us haven't had a break. We pee and it comes out like bloody toothpaste. We're just so absolutely knackered. I mean, our blisters have got blisters on them on our feet. From walking them and down, dealing with patients, dealing with other colleagues, dealing with the pressures, the massive pressure that we were all under at the minute. Even after COVID, we're still under a lot of pressure. But at the time he's saying this is happening, I mean, all... I mean, what was it? When the parties were happening, 2020, 2021, we we still weren't sure what COVID was. And the the research coming out was still, in some cases, contradictory of what what it was saying. And that, to me, is more scary that we, we didn't know. So we just want to get out of there. We didn't want to have a couple of drinks in the staff room. I mean, even New Year, I've worked quite a few New Years. And what we do at New Year is one minute to midnight, we'll stop. We don't go to staff room. We've got patients to look after. We do a quick countdown, 10 seconds, boom, boom, boom. Hey, Happy New Year, right back to work. There's no no messing around, no parties, no nothing. But I'm sure these guys probably had a massive party in down the street. And this is just the ones that it's known about. I mean, you've got a Sue Gray report, which I haven't actually read, and that'll just make me more angry, I think. Um, And that will probably unearth loads. But they're untouchable. They are untouchable. They won't resign. They're, They're too narcissistic. They won't resign. They will only be forced out in an election, but we haven't got an election coming up for a few years, I don't think. So... Unfortunately, we're stuck with them. But going back to the beginning of my podcast, you've got the right of protest. Should I protest it? Don't know. We'll see. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to me babbling. Goodbye. Thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to me babble on. Your comments are all welcome and I appreciate you listening to me. Look after yourselves.